Ghislaine is guilty. COVID closures across the country are spreading. And why is NASA hiring dozens of priests? Hmm. Thursday needs to know. Let's go. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. This is Cheddar's Need to Know podcast for the penultimate day of 2021, possibly of our lives. This is uh, December 30th. <laughs> I am... Carlo Versano, and I am here in the cut with Baker Machado. Baker, what's up? Good to see you, Carlo Versano, on this National Bacon Day. Uh, and yes, you're right. The countdown officially begins tomorrow at midnight. Uh, maybe a new year, maybe a new life, maybe, you know, new <laughs> fortunes for all of us as we potentially start a new year. But who knows? Given all the influx of news that we've been getting, who knows if this is basically the end of it? Well, on that note, um, I have an important announcement. Uh, so I hope everybody is sitting down because this may come to a shock uh, to some of you. Uh, but I'm leaving Cheddar, and uh, this is the this podcast is going to be on hiatus in the new year. Uh, I'll have a little bit more to say tomorrow um, on our our last pod of the year. But I did just I didn't want to drop that on on everybody with no notice on New Year's Eve. Uh, but just uh, in brief, I was really quite literally made an offer I couldn't refuse, uh, and I took it. Um, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm obviously very torn about leaving this podcast and everything we've built here. Uh, but the intention is for the pod to start back up and be nice and fresh when Jill returns, uh, in the coming weeks. Um, but that said, Baker, this is it for you and me, at least for right now. Mm. Carlo. Um, well, first off, congratulations. I know I speak for the entire need to know family that we're, we're so excited for you uh, and your family and and all the new adventures that you have on the horizon with this new position. Uh, it has been a um, a great moment in my career to be able to uh, you know be a part of this amazing project that you and Jill have been able to create uh, for the Need to Know podcast. Uh, the listeners, I know the fans who listen to this thing disagree with you on 90% of the, the things that you say, <laughs> but email saying how much uh, this podcast is such an important part of their day. Uh, just being able to play a, a small part in what you and Jill have been able to create is has been incredible. And I know I speak for all of the listeners and all of the fans of this podcast in saying that we we will miss um, we will miss your your charming optimism on everything <laughs> that you talk about in the mornings. Uh, your 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 dry wit, your humor, uh, but just. All those things that make you wonderful and unique, Carlo. And, and I know uh, um, we're going to really miss you, but we're really excited for you. I, I appreciate that, Baker. I'll still I'll still be around, and you guys will still be able to find me. And again, we'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more about all that um, tomorrow. But with that said, Baker, people want to hear the news, so let's get to it. Yes, they do. So let's dive into the big one coming yesterday afternoon, Carlo. Ghislaine Maxwell has been convicted of sex trafficking after facilitating the abuse of underage girls that at the hands of Jeffrey Epstein. Then after a months-long trial, the jury delivered a guilty verdict on five of six counts against her. She was acquitted on the charge of enticing a minor to travel across state lines for sex. Uh, that, by the way, was probably one of the more difficult of the charges there anyway. Mm -hmm. Now, Maxwell does face up to 40 years in prison for just the most serious counts here. Her defense team does say, though, she t uh, plans to appeal 
though she's also facing another trial in the same court, this on perjury charges that could add more to her sentence. But basically, the point here, Carlo, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, almost certainly, barring any un unforeseen sort of circumstances here in terms of her sentencing, likely going to spend the rest of her life in uh, jail. She, of course, at uh, in her 60s right now. But in many ways, because Jeffrey Epstein um, no longer with us, and wasn't able to basically face the charges uh, from what he was being accused of, she was sort of seen basically as this moment for the accusers to get sort of um, mm -hmm. their due justice against uh, right. against what they had gone through during the Jeffrey Epstein days. Yeah, this was the proxy trial that they couldn't have because Jeffrey Epstein is dead or you know, sipping a Mai Tai on some island out there. Who the hell knows, right? But look, let this be a lesson... Uh, <laughs> Let this be a lesson to other convicted pedophiles out there. The United States government is going to come down like a ton of bricks on the woman that you hire to do your logistics and paperwork. Um, but uh, yeah, just a, a rough day for all the other high-profile, powerful people who cavorted with Ghislaine Maxwell over the years, despite the more or less open secret that she was on the payroll of Jeffrey Epstein, who again was a convicted pedophile. Um, so while I think this is some measure of justice in sort of this whole sordid affair, I think it's unlikely that we're going to see any of the just any justice for any of the men who actually abused these girls. Uh, that said, I think the one thing that's, that I'll be w interested to keep an eye on in this is, is there a possibility that she sings, right? Could she talk and start naming names in exchange for a reduced sentence? Um, is there is there a chance of that? I, I, I don't know. Or would you know she potentially be taken out before that could happen? I don't know. No, um, look, because you, you would have to think Prince Andrew, the Clintons, the Trumps, any person yeah. that basically had some sort of relationship with Epstein, obviously, you know, could potentially be, you know, uh, listed by her if she does sing. Uh, but Carlo, uh, the other thing that's interesting here is the interest in this trial because of documentaries, you know, the Internet. Mm -hmm. Everything about Jeffrey Epstein. This all really also started because of local journalism. The Miami Herald. Julie K. Brown. Reporting. Yep. Yeah, there, her incredible reporting her that she did for years and years and years, sometimes not getting paid anything to basically get it done. This this is this is basically the climax of why the, the world needs good reporters and the world yep. needs the news media, because if it weren't for Julie K. Brown, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell would not be in a, a courtroom like she was yesterday. No, that's absolutely true. And I did see yesterday that uh, uh, Maxwell, before she was uh, sort of carted off after the sentencing or after the uh, the, the guilty verdict, rather, she was uh, speaking to an ABC News reporter in the courtroom. Uh, so I think there is a possibility that she may do an interview. Interesting. Um, and we'll have to keep an eye on that. That will be probably the interview of the year, at least for me. Oh, absolutely. After me as well. Meanwhile, Carlo, let's switch gears and talk COVID. Places that are seeing a crush of new COVID cases just struggling now to stay open and function. That is, the virus is whipping through workforces. The Smithsonian in D.C. is temporarily closing four museums through the holiday weekend, which is usually a pretty busy time in D.C., mm -hmm. that in order to relocate staff to other museums. Meanwhile, in New York City, the MTA is adjusting to crew shortages by running fewer subways and buses, and that's leading to longer wait times for passengers. Big banks also temporarily closing hundreds of their branches across the country, 
and restaurants in cities from my, uh, Milwaukee to Dallas are being forced to shut down during a very lucrative holiday weekend. Uh, just yesterday, Carlo, as we continue to look at the new case numbers, it's sort of insane, the, the amount of new cases that we're getting, 301,000 new cases on average yesterday. That, according to the New York Times, that is up 153% over the course of the last two weeks. But as I continue to say over and over again, and it's almost kind of shocking how this number has not even moved, the death cases continue to stay flat. We're yep. still averaging only 1,200 deaths. Hospitalizations, interestingly enough, not being overwhelmed just yet either. Hospitalizations only up 11% over the last two weeks. Well, and obviously these case numbers are a severe undercount, right? Because these are just these are just uh, you know True. these are just reflections of 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 positive uh, tests. And a lot of people, because especially because this variant appears to be so um, mild or even asymptomatic in a lot of cases, a lot of people aren't getting tested. They, a lot of people have COVID right now, and they don't even know they have COVID. That's what's yep, causing. Exactly. It's not you know the, the reason why this thing is spreading like crazy isn't because people are like not following the CDC's guidelines and leaving their house after five days rather than ten. It's because there's people out there who don't know that they're infected and they're spreading it. That, that's the, you know, that's the reason why these case numbers are just absolutely through the roof. Am I going to Turks and Caicos next week? Can somebody just no. tell me? No. Should because I go or not? Somebody just so. tell me. Yes, um, yes. By the way, you should, unless of course your new job is upset that you're basically stuck in another country for the first well, I'm a little bit. <laughs> I'm a little bit worried about that. The only thing I really worry about is you have to, you know, you have to throw a, a negative test to get back into the United States. Yeah. Um, so I'm a little bit worried that we're going to, you know, we're going to get sick there, not even sick, but even just like infected there. And then we won't be able to come back. Uh, but anyway, just, you know, back to some of these closures. Look, I, you can't keep closing down society with like lockdowns or whatever. So you're going to start to see, you're going to see more of these sort of like piecemeal closures um, in businesses. But I think that there is this sense out there, especially among wage workers, people who are, you know, sort of like part of the service economy, that they are essentially being sacrificed, you know, to the altar of the American consumer economy, uh, which is true, by the way, they are right. I mean, that's the world that we live in. That's the world that we've created for ourselves over the last several decades. It, it, everything depends on us buying and consuming to keep the wheels in motion. That's that's what we've learned over COVID, right? One of the big realizations that I think a lot of people have had over the last couple years is that there, there's nobody coming to help, right? The government is basically feckless. You're essentially on your own here. Uh, sure, like, you know, the federal government, whether it's Trump or Biden, they'll send you some cash to keep your, uh, you know, to keep to keep yourself from like completely going under. Um, but it's not like they're sending those, that money out of the goodness of their hearts, right? They, they It was sent, these stimulus checks and these other, um, you know, financial uh, sort of incentives that were, that were given out over the pandemic, that was to keep us spending because the spending is the lubrication that keeps the gears moving right that's the whole that's the whole thing here and i and that's i really stimulus. do believe right and i really do believe that you know a lot of the kind of like antisocial and reckless behavior that we've seen out there everything from you know record homicides in basically every major city in america uh to the some of the riots to people driving like maniacs as we've talked about on this pod many times to airline passengers fist fighting each other over masks it all goes back to that sense the, the the sense that the pandemic combined with sort of like the failure of all of our institutions in the trump era just kind of exposed the shortcomings of 
the society that we live in and how perilously it all hangs on this knife's edge. Um, you know, if you realize that your government doesn't really give a shit if you die of a deadly virus and they don't really have any plans or ability to actually stop it, why not smash that Louis Vuitton window and steal a nice purse for your girlfriend, right? Why not get high on opioids that'll make you feel a little bit better? Why not run that red light? Who's going to stop you? Does that? <laughs> I, 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 again, I just want to stress to our viewers: we're not recommending you do any of those things. No, don't do any of those things, of course. <laughs> but I think that there's a through line. I think there's a through line between the pandemic and all of these other things that are happening. And I think that we, we haven't really come to terms with what exactly that means. But I don't think they're all. I think it's all connected. So. Uh, I think the the testing component in all of this is going to be interesting, Carlo, because uh, we've seen that there's not a great supply of these rapid tests, which everybody's sort of now taking to sort of realize that they're going to be able to have any sort of life anymore. I, I think technology now is basically the, is going to be ripe for disruption when it comes to the testing part. You're going to see companies develop apps, testing services where you're basically buying tests in bulk every month. Um, there's a I, there was a company we, I interviewed on Cheddar News just a, a week or so ago that is basically trying to basically get you a rapid test in the next ten like in ten minutes. And there's an app special a special uh, especially on your phone. I think that that's where we're going now because. Corporations now are starting because uh, CDC has brought down the isolation guidelines and they're realizing that people are not if they're boosted and vaccinated are not going to the hospital if they're catching covid. I think we're now entering this new phase where companies now are going to be a little bit more lax when it comes to yeah. if, if one of their employees is tested positive, they're not going to shut down the office like they had in the past. And if there's sort of more companies doing these sort of rapid tests and they're making it easier for more people to test themselves, I think the next couple of years or so, we're just going to be rapid testing ourselves every week or every other day or so. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the world sort of tries to get back to normalcy as a result of that. And we sort of right. deal Which is what we should be COVID. doing. That's what we right. should be doing. This is all part of this thing getting into this endemic stage. And it's going to be very bumpy because we've never – none of us who are alive now have ever dealt with that before. Yeah, good point. Meanwhile, let's talk some international news here, Carlo. What's happening between Russia and Ukraine? One of the big potential conflicts to watch next year as President Biden is scheduled to hold a call today with Vladimir Putin. That is their second they've had just this month. That amid ongoing tensions on Ukraine's eastern border, that's where Russia has been amassing troops ahead of what some believe to be a planned invasion uh, planned for early next year, although we should note Russia has uh, continuously denied saying that they have any sort of invasion plan that they're going to do uh, with Ukraine. But this is also setting the stage for more talks between officials uh, in January as well. And the New York Times yeah. and the Washington, uh, uh, excuse me, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal both reporting this call that's happening today was actually uh, in, uh, instituted by Russian officials, including Vladimir Putin. They wanted to get Joe Biden on the phone today. Yeah, and uh, Putin has been um, withdrawing some of those troops. I, th I believe about 10,000 of those troops have been uh, sent back into Russia from the Ukrainian border in the last week. But the belief is from U.S. intelligence that there's something like 70, potentially even 100,000 on the border. So it's really just like a small chunk that that he's recalling. Um, you know, look, if you're if you're Putin and you have your eyes on Ukraine, now is the time to move, right? The entire West is in disarray over COVID. No one's really going to stop you from making your move now. Um, plus, you know, e Europe, which 
you know, you would hope you would hope in this situation would be more forcefully able to prevent this from happening. They need all that Russian gas this winter, so they can't even really do anything if this goes down. So, look, if and when I think that this this invasion happens early next year, potentially maybe in the spring when it gets a little bit warmer, I think that this is going to be a huge, a huge black eye for NATO, for one thing. Right. NATO is supposed to exist to deter this kind of thing from happening. But they, we really, have just hung Ukraine out to dry for for years. I, I mean, you know, we, we've told them they can't join us, um, but we're also not going to support them in any real way against Russia, you know, Russian aggression, as we saw in 2014 when, um, you know, Putin went into Crimea and all we did was say like, hey, uh, don't do that. Don't Vlad. do that. And he would. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, look, Trump was actually right in his intuition. I think that NATO has um, become, you know, a little long in the tooth, but that's a, that's a debate for another time, I guess. Uh, yeah, look, this all stems from Georgia and the, the, the Republic of Georgia and, and uh, Ukraine wanting to join NATO. I'm almost curious if this does accelerate them joining uh, or, or, Putin, or Biden at least indicates there's, there's more of an interest in accelerating them joining to basically try to deter Vladimir Putin. But either way, interesting that Vladimir Putin was the one that instituted this phone call, not the other way around here. Yeah. Uh, let's switch Let's switch gears and talk business here. Uh, it was a record year for IPOs, but many of the stocks that took off in the public debuts this last year have now come crashing right back down to earth in the waning days of 2021. Nearly two out of three companies that went public this year are now trading below their IPO prices. That is, investors are losing appetite for high growth stocks now that higher interest rates are now on the horizon, Carlos. So it's pretty interesting. A lot of the companies that we saw uh, this last year, even companies we didn't expect that would go public, like BuzzFeed in particular, a uh, completely different story after they went public. Yes, yeah, some of these, uh, some of the more highly anticipated big offerings uh, from companies like Robinhood, Oatly, the oat milk maker, uh, Bumble, the dating yep. app. Each one of those stocks down more than 50% from their opening price, which is really uh, amazing when you think about it. Uh, coming, of course, is the broader market notching record highs to close out the year. So this uh, it was a banner year for IPOs. Um, and just in terms of next year, I don't think it's probably going to be nearly as big. Some of the big ones to look out for, though, Stripe, which is uh, one of those cr uh, credit card processing uh, services, uh, Instacart. And Discord, Discord. Uh, there was a great story in the New York Times the other day about Discord and how it sort of rose from this sort of like, um, you know, basically like a chat room for gamers into mm -hmm. one of these uh, one one of these communications platforms that really just took off like wildfire uh, during the pandemic and has now really broadened itself to be, um, you know, useful to more people than just uh, just gaming enthusiasts. I thought that was a really good piece. Yeah, and another one, by the way, Impossible Foods also looking potentially at going yeah. public next year as well. Uh, that after we saw Beyond Meat go public a few years ago. Those companies uh, have been – I feel like those companies have been a little bit uh, – not what we, you know, I, I was expecting that those fake meat companies were really going to be the, the next big thing, but it doesn't seem like they've caught on that much. Have they? I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like the conversation has changed, which I, I mean, I'm, I'm, and I don't mean that as a negative thing, unless that's more that these foam plant-based meats have sort of acclimated themselves into our lives more than we're talking about them less. But when Beyond Meat went public, all we were talking about was, is this the start of all of us having more of these plant-based meats or these fake meats? Um, right. And are you going to see them rolled out into more things? I think because of the pandemic, we haven't talked about that as much. 
Um, and so we'll kind of see if the appetite is still there. If in, uh, Impossible Foods decides to go public next year, will they have as much of a demand as Beyond Meat, even though Impossible has just as many corporate partnerships right. as, as Beyond Meat does as well? I mean, you see you see these things in the grocery store, so people must be buying them. But I think one of the problems is they're they're too expensive, right? They're not at the level of like it's it's more expensive to buy a Beyond Meat burger than it is to just buy a, a, a beef. Well, it, 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 um, it's the right? it's the cost. It's the cost, but also calorically. I mean, yes, you're not eating meat, but like calorically, you're you're. It's not like it's yeah. any healthier for you because it's still the same amount of calories and sodium and all that other stuff that you're normally having right. with a burger. Um, one other area that is ripe for disruption is the autonomous trucking industry. A self-driving truck company says they have now completed the very first ever fully autonomous trip of a tractor trailer on open public roads. True Simple announced that a semi truck powering uh, its self-driving technology drove an 80-mile route on an Arizona highway with no humans on board of it. Uh, the milestone comes amid a resurgence of interest in self-driving trucks, which many experts believe are closer to becoming a reality than self-driving cars. Um, uh, if, you, if you talk to people in the trucking industry, yes, while they're sad, the amount of, of, of new drivers that are interested in becoming truck drivers has continued to fall year after year after year after year. Um, just because I think a lot of younger people um, can, are interested in other sorts of industries rather than the trucking industry. If one yeah. thing could keep the trucking industry alive and afloat, it's autonomous driving because you basically combat the loss of all the drivers that you don't have. On top of that, you're not basically reliant on taking breaks, all these other sorts of things that you had to do when these truck drivers are making these long routes because you're having an autonomous car doing all the work for you. Yeah, at least for like the hard, you know, trucking is obviously one of like the hardest jobs there mm -hmm. is, right? You have to, I mean, to, mm -hmm. to be in a, you know, to be in a moving vehicle for that long. But one of the reasons why, why the belief is now that self-driving trucks are closer than cars, as we just saw with this milestone from Too Simple, is that, you know, tr trucks basically drive in a straight line, right, for most of their um you know, most of their journey. They don't have to do a bunch of the maneuvering that a car has to do on like an urban road, right? They don't really have to worry about pedestrians. They don't really have to worry about traffic lights and other, uh, you know, things of that nature. So I think that's the the belief is that that's why this this technology could be coming there um, sooner than it is, you know, into to passenger vehicles. And just this prolonged shortage of truck drivers uh, that you just talked about, making this even more attractive. That said, too simple. I just looked at their stock. They've been an absolute dud uh, since they I. IPO'd in April. So who knows? No, interesting. Something to definitely watch next year, especially as this becomes more a reality, especially uh, autonomous driving. Uh, meanwhile, this is a fascinating story, Carlo. NASA reportedly hired two dozen uh, theologians and religious experts to contemplate what would happen if humans discovered alien life in the cosmos. According to an uh, Anglican priest in the UK who says he was part of the project several years ago, NASA wanted to understand how news of alien life would impact religious people's belief systems. Dr. Andrew Davidson said in an interview that he and his fellow theologians, including a rabbi, an imam, and another priest, which, by the way, that sounds like a joke already, uh, agreed <laughs> that the major religions would be able to take this discovery of alien life, uh, quote unquote, in stride, which I think is pretty interesting here.
a rabbi, a priest, and an imam walk into a NASA study. Is that the, <laughs> See, uh, that's it the, is, is that the setup? Perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, it, it, it's always funny to me what news breaks through because I, I have a great uh, sort of view into this because of Becky's family being in Romania. And her mom called her yesterday because she read a version of this story that had sort of made it through into Romanian media. Um, and she took it to mean that NASA was preparing to announce that they've discovered alien life. And she wanted to make sure that Becky was aware of it uh and that like basically like just we could all get our handle uh, it yeah just like so we could get our affairs in order i guess i just thought it was <laughs> it was so interesting I, what breaks through or not right but hey look i mean i you know it's a interesting interesting study and obviously a, you know if if and when we do find alien life out, that's going to be a major uh oh yeah religion for religious people in particular that's going to be really something to grapple with absolutely good point all right, let's do a little more to know before we go, Baker. All right, we've been talking about the weather all week. The Pacific Northwest set for its coldest New Year's in a very long time. Snow and frigid air battering cities like Seattle and Portland and the mountains of Northern California, all helping to ease drought conditions while the rest of the country hasn't seen much in the way of snowfall so far this season. But we should also say other parts of the country seeing insane temperatures as well in terms of uh, incredibly high temperatures. Yeah, we mentioned yesterday it was 67 in Alaska. Now it's going to go down to below freezing. So they are really worried about uh, the ice situation out there. Uh, meantime, going back uh, overseas here, Israel trying to contain a severe outbreak of avian flu after that virus wiped out about 5,000 migratory cranes uh, that were being held in a popular nature reserve in Israel. Uh, there have not been any reports of this avian flu jumping from the birds to humans. But of course, that is something that we all know now can happen. So, so it's something to keep an eye on. I, I can't deal with another, uh, you know, pathogen. So, someone no, figure yeah, this out. <laughs> yeah, yes, me, yeah, amen. Meanwhile, New York City set to become the biggest city, Carlo, in the country to mandate employers list their salary ranges for jobs that are posted online. Almost any company that has jobs posted in the city will have to list minimum and maximum salaries for every open position. Transparency that I think a lot of people have been asking for for jobs for decades yeah. here finally coming to fruition. Yeah, this is going to be a big trend to watch in the new year, pay transparency. Um, and I, I, I think this is a this is a good thing because, I, you know, there, if you're in the job market, it, it's always such a crapshoot, right? Because you're like, I'm going through these interviewing process, the process that takes forever. And like, I don't even know what this job pays, right? For all I know, yeah, you're in, they you're could in the be dark. paying me. Uh, yeah, you're totally in the dark. And then they ask you what your salary is. And you're like, should I lie? So, but like, right. I can't lie to them. It's the whole thing is, it, it's just a really bad system. Uh, okay, well, no winner in the uh, Powerball drawing last night. That bumps the jackpot up to a cool $483 million for the next drawing that will be on New Year's Day, making it among one of the biggest pots of the year, Baker. Are you taking the annuity? I'm taking the annuity. I, look, I'm taking the Bobby Bonilla approach. Get paid you know, your millions yeah. of dollars every year for the rest of your life. But if you do take the lump sum, over about $350 million if you take the lump sum, Carlos. So that's not too bad either in case you need to spend it really fast. I'm an annuity man. I'm taking that. Uh, I'm taking that that weekly paycheck. Yeah, I think the the stress of knowing you have a paycheck for the rest of your life is pretty amazing. Yes, exactly. Mean, 
Meanwhile, a decade after they announced they were splitting up, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Maria Shriver have finally finalized their divorce. The power couple split all the way back in 2011, that after Arnold acknowledged that he had fathered a child with his family's housekeeper, but they've remained uh, amicable, attending events together with their grown children over the ensuing years. Uh, terms of the divorce were not made public. Uh, it's sort of interesting you know, there was this piece in the New York Times, oh God, months ago about sort of the rise of, of the popularity of Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was incredibly popular when he mm -hmm. first went into office during the recall election. His poll numbers fell dramatically. The news of this affair and that this other child that he had came towards the tail end of his time as governor. He got divorced and then he sort of rehabbed his image back in California. And I believe yeah. uh, the New York Times or the LA Times polled uh, Californians and apparently Arnold Schwarzenegger is still to this day one of the more popular politicians in a very blue state like California. Really remarkable. He sort of pulled off the Trump thing before Trump did, right? He did. He did. Yeah. Uh, okay. And finally, uh, Clash of the Titans in Hollywood here. The Rock not coming back to the Fast and Furious franchise, no matter how much Vin Diesel wants him to. Dwayne Johnson opening up in a year-end interview to CNN about his uh, public feud with Vin Diesel. Diesel, of course, recently pleaded with Johnson in an Instagram post to return to the Fast and the Furious fold. Johnson called that an example of Diesel's, quote, manipulation and said they are there's, quote, no chance he's going to make another Fast movie. Baker, I hate when the meatheads fight. Uh, look, this, there's so many Fast and Furious movies. They continue to bring in tons and tons of money at the box office. Does this movie have legs still to bring in more money if The Rock is not part of the franchise? That's going to be the big question. Okay, guys, that's what you need to know for Thursday, December 30th. Baker, my friend, my partner, my buddy, I will miss you, man, but we'll be in touch. I will miss you. And uh, we, we'll talk, I'll talk a little bit more to you guys uh, tomorrow on our last day of the year. All right, guys.